Welcome to Idle Chatter, brought to you by the Machinery Digest, where steel and soil meet. A weekly podcast by a New Jersey farmer to all farmers and ranchers across this great nation. And yes, there are farms in New Jersey. Regardless of the crop you grow or the livestock you raise, we all have one thing in common. Agriculture runs on passion, sweat, tears, and machinery. And that is why the Machinery Digest exists. A no-nonsense, grease-under-your-fingernails educational website. It was created to provide a transfer of knowledge so that you can maintain, service, and most importantly, understand today's complex farm equipment. My name is Ray Bohax and I farm too. It is time now to get under the sheet metal. Hello and welcome to Idle Chatter. I'm Ray Bohax, your host, coming to you from Catswamp Road in Warren County, New Jersey. And hopefully the sound of my voice has you doing well today. And sadly, I think a lot of you uh, may be waiting to get into the field as I am. So since last week's show, I did get a chance to burn off my cover crop and since I recorded last week's show, and I got that down, and I got my broadcast fertilizer down, which is a uh, agro-liquid mix. It is uh, 20 gallons per acre of high-energy N, 10 gallons per acre of 32% N, so that would come available sooner than the high-energy, and then I have some um, carbon, their agro-liquids carbon product in there, and I think I have something else. I don't recall. I should know that, right? Uh, I think I have a little bit of, not boron. I honestly don't remember. So, uh, but I got that down with my burn down on the one field, and that's a good thing I did that on last uh, Tuesday. I think I did that, and uh, because it's been raining ever since, and it's been cold. So the calendar says May, but this morning I went out with two sweatshirts and a knit hat on, and it was 39 degrees, and just the past two days we got to, uh, looked at the rain gauge just before I came down to record this show, and since Saturday morning we're at 2.19 inches of rain, and last week we got about almost three inches of rain collectively over about four days, so it's kind of wet out there. And because it's been cold, uh, my cover crop's not, you know, giving up the ghost as quickly as possible because no sun and no temperature. But that is it. What more can we do? I know that plenty of people are suffering the same, the same fate, and uh, I'm not a hundred percent nervous yet, but I am getting there. And as a matter of fact, uh, just the other day, I was talking to a friend of mine who lives out west. And I was saying this is the first time that I'm thinking of having some prevented plant acres. So uh, we'll see what happens. But if I could get my at least my first planting in by May 25th, that should be okay. But we'll see. It's up to the good Lord, right? Whatever it is, it is. But, you know, as we all know, this time of year things could change very, very quickly. The rain could shut off and we could get some warm weather and some sun in the field would uh, dry out sufficiently for me to plant. I know some guys did get some corn in, and they went in there when the field was a little bit too wet, so 
hopefully God willing that they don't have a lot of sidewall compaction and uh, a lot of compacted ground there but we'll see what happens so there's a little bit of corn up in the area not much and uh, hey what, what more can we say hopefully God willing next week we all have a singing a different story a different tune but well, I want to welcome you again to my show and I want to thank you so much for everyone that is listening and I'm uh, very grateful and blessed to say that the audience grows every week and I'm uh, humbled by that that you listen to this dry land farmer dry land farmer with wet fields right but uh, this week's show what I'm going to talk about even though the weather doesn't uh, kind of lend itself to it is I want to talk about the need to properly service the air conditioning system in all of your equipment and when I say equipment because that means not only your farm equipment but your cars and your trucks also and as I've said so many times before on this show is that I look at every vehicle, every piece of machinery that you have on the farm, even if it's your personal vehicle as part of a farm vehicle, because ultimately the income from the farm is paying for that, and that vehicle or that machine is used for the farm. So I put that all together as far as one unit is concerned. And if there is a p- and if there is an aspect of equipment that most people neglect and that is the air conditioning system and they don't realize that like everything else it needs to be serviced and what I mean by saying as I get into this show this morning is what needs to be I'm saying this morning I'm actually recording it in the afternoon but uh I don't know why I said that for I was supposed to do it this morning so hey best laid plans of mice and men right that never works out that's farming so uh but the need to service this equipment uh, usually escapes people and not until they have a problem and historically usually that problem is catastrophic and they have a complete system failure do they realize that uh, we should have taken better care of it and sadly a lot of people at that particular point don't even realize that the failure that they had most likely could have been avoided when on that particular note that is you know, really the crux and the basis of this whole idle chatter show and my farmmachinerydigest.com website is that, you know, things do break. I'm not going to deny that and things do wear out. But from my years of being in the business, that most of the time, everything, the things that fail or break have, and not all the time, most of the time, have a shortened life because either a lack of service or a lack of knowledge or a lack of understanding. And that's what I am trying to do with this show. And I want you, as my listeners, to look at your farm collectively and realize that if you can avoid a a failure or you could avoid a problem, that that's just as good as getting more revenue for your crop. And it's, I always say this, it's not what you generate, it's what you keep that is going to impact whether you are profitable or not. And I am well, well, well convinced, and no one could tell me otherwise, that it is impossible for you to have a truly profitable, on a continuous basis, agricultural operation without paying a lot of attention to your equipment and minimizing the downtime and minimizing repairs and especially unnecessary repairs. And I've said, as I've said before, and I will say it subsequently from time to time, hopefully not every week, but subsequently 
is that you know the, our whole business is based upon is is based upon yield well if i put a fungicide how much can i get if i do this how much i get if i put a foliar application if i put in for treatment what can i get from it nothing that i talk about on this show will increase your revenue stream what it will do is minimize your expenses so and that's just and so and you know we have to look at it that way is that that you have your revenue stream and then you have to minimize your expenses and if you could minimize your expenses it's just as effective to your profitability as an increased revenue stream and if you have an increased revenue stream and you increase your expenses then it negates that that increased income so you have to look at it where it's a it's a double-sided sword is that it's it you have to you have to optimize not only what you're generating but you have to minimize your costs and that's what happens in the farm shop is that you know people think that well ah, things just break and as i said sometimes they just do but don't look at it as bad luck like 60 mile an hour winds or uh, straight line winds or a hailstorm is that there is a very good possibility that you could have done some things over the life of that piece of equipment that has minimized or prevented the failure you have today. And that's really going to be part of my special delivery segment because I'm going to talk about that in special delivery. And it's not it's going to be a little bit different today is that it's not a particular letter from a person but it is from a person that follows me on Twitter and I do not don't honestly know whether they listen to the show or not they may or they may not but they had a problem with their personal vehicle then that's going to be a seven or eight thousand dollar repair and you know with, with tight markets and if you're living predominantly off the income of the farm and unnecessary or an avoidables for better more accurate terms seven or eight thousand dollar repair that could have gone a long way of paying your fertility bill or your fuel bill or anything paying down i mean better than than just repairing a uh, personal vehicle that your family needs so uh, we're going to get into that later on but today as i said we're going to be talking about air conditioning and you know years back air conditioning was a luxury uh in both a vehicle and in a piece of farm equipment but today it's really not a luxury anymore it's probably akin to uh to almost like a heater is that you need to have air conditioning because of the amount of hours the size of the farms that we're running the amount of hours spent in the uh, piece of equipment and also with a closed-in cab or weatherproof cab you don't uh, you really need to have some sort of climate control system uh, specifically I mean in the, in the winter obviously you need a heater and in the summer you need to uh, try to eliminate that greenhouse effect even in the combine when you're harvesting in the fall or if guys are wheat guys obviously you're harvesting when it's real hot out there and you just don't have the airflow it's almost like a modern office building that the windows don't open on so climate control and we spoke about heating during the winter season so now we're going to talk about air conditioning systems and what you need to do to minimize the uh, the repairs and maximize its efficiency so i'm going to ask you a question now and be honest obviously i can't hear you or see your hands going up is that when was the last time that you serviced one of your air conditioning systems in any piece of equipment and i don't mean if it has a uh, a filter in it a uh, a cabin air filter 
or tighten the belt or clean off the condenser but what I'm talking about servicing is that you you removed all the old refrigerant pulled a vacuum on that system added new refrigerant and also refrigerant oil in it up to its level so when was the last time you did that and I would have to say probably a majority of you will say that you have never done it and your qualifier is that it's still blowing cold and I'm saying well it's still blowing cold today and that's like a person who doesn't really brush their teeth or take care of their dental hygiene well your teeth are in your mouth today they may not be in your mouth tomorrow and what we want to do is we want to avoid that because number one as we were saying a minute or so ago is that it's so paramount to have air conditioning in today's farm equipment because of the uh, the sun load in there and the lack of air, natural airflow with a closed cab and also <laughs> is that that once it breaks it breaks usually very expensively so it's not inexpensive to fix a air conditioning system because usually when there's a failure the failure is catastrophic so let's get into that and talk about it now in in essence let me give you a little bit of background is that as far as air conditioning is concerned it uses a refrigerant and people use the term Freon and Freon is actually a was a brand name like Kleenex or Jeep or Frigidaire old timers used to say I have a new I got a new Frigidaire meaning a new refrigerator so Freon I believe it was a trade name of the DuPont Corporation but the proper name of the chemical inside an air conditioning system is the refrigerant and there's all different specifications of refrigerant and years back the systems used to use what is called R12 and R12 was an automotive style refrigerant and that is a different type of refrigerant that is traditionally used in a home air conditioner system or a, or a refrigerator for your food or a, a chiller or an ice box a freezer itself right I'm showing my age ice box right so a freezer but automotive type of applications and what you will find in agriculture is qualified as an automotive application is that it was R12 and then about probably 15 to 20 years ago time flies by that the R12 was replaced with a product called R134A and I believe that some newer equipment and some newer automobiles have a different refrigerant than that now uh, and the reason why it was replaced R12 was replaced with 134A is that the new product the 134A was uh, more environmentally friendly it did not attack the ozone layer as aggressively as R12 did. So if the system was leaking and putting refrigerant into the air, or if the vehicle got into an accident or on a piece of farm equipment, you popped a hole, you blew an air conditioner line, or you popped a hole in the condenser and the refrigerant leaked into the air, that the R134A is not as uh, aggressive in the environment as the older stuff was. Right, so that is our basis there. Now, what happens is that an air conditioner has, and I'm going to make this very simple, an AC system has a number of components. There's the compressor, which is basically a small engine, and it wouldn't, without any fuel in it, it's belt-driven from the crankshaft of, of the engine that is powering the vehicle. 
and uh, there's a compressor and that actually depending upon the style of compressor that it is if anybody remembers the old let's say Chrysler compressors they call them V2 compressors and Eaton I uh, had had the same style compressor that looked like a like a Harley Davidson motorcycle and whereas uh, so that had two pistons and a crankshaft and it has valves in it just like an engine had and uh, like an engine has and that would compress the refrigerant and General Motors years ago used a an axial type of compressor uh, which was a six cylinder axial it was called an A6 this is those big long AC Delco actually they were frigid air compressors back then in the 60s and 70s and they were an axial type of compressor and then later on they had some rotary compressors but regardless it is like a small engine so it's akin to a small engine and most of the systems today use an axial type of compressor so but if the efficiencies uh, what basically has happened let me just back up so I have some continuity in my thoughts for you is that one of the reasons why they changed the compressor designs is to make them smaller, make them more efficient, and they're, they, they, like anything else, they got better at it. And it's evolutionary. They make them smaller, more efficient. Uh, they take less power. They're more efficient as far as what I mean is that they're more efficient in compressing the refrigerant, and they're also run with less noise, vibration, and harshness. And the thing is that whenever you put, as an, as an aside to this, whenever you put some sort of load like that, on an engine to turn to turn it you want to try to have it as on the same plane as the crankshaft so when you remove and, and when you remove it or move it from to a different crank plane from the crankshaft then you have a you induce more harmonics and it is has more vibration is induced so you want to have it the shortest belt possible then you want to have it as close to the crankshaft as possible that doesn't always happen but years ago when they had the big v-shaped compressors for instance and chrysler was famous for them they had them way up high and they were far away from the crankshaft and they had a lot of harmonics to them and so it would cause a you would feel a change in the engine's idle when the air conditioner compressor was engaged and that was because it was not on the same plane of the crankshaft and if you look later on as vehicles uh, progressed is that they tried to package that in most modern applications even on agricultural piece of equipment you'll see that compressor is usually nearest or on the same plane the same level lined up with the crankshaft in every application that cannot happen but that's the ideal goal and in engineering you look to package everything and you can't always package it the way you want but the ideal goal is to always put a load next on the same plane as the crankshaft so think of it this way without belaboring it if you look at like at a pto shaft you want to have try to have that pto shaft coming out of a tractor and let's say to that disc bind you want to have that pto shaft come and you want it to run straight a minimum of a one or two a maximum of a one or two degree angle because if you have it on an on a steeper angle than that then actually the pto shaft will swing in an ellipse and cause vibration and that's when you get that vibration is because it's actually swinging in an ellipse which is like an o uh, which is looks shaped like an egg it's it's rotation is not a complete is not a uh, a perfect circle and that is why a lot of equipment today actually employ what they call a constant velocity joint in like a pto or in an axle on a drive system because that 
gives the engineer more flexibility as far as its placement is concerned because when that shaft spins in an ellipse then it's accelerating and deaccelerating and that's why you're getting that harmonic or that vibration where it's constant velocity joint means that it is rotating at a constant velocity the pto is spinning at the same rpm but the the shaft when it's on an angle when it has a universal joint actually when it goes into the ellipse accelerates and decelerates whereas a constant velocity joint usually has balls in it and is able to keep the stiff speed the, the input speed which is the drive from the pto and the output speed the same and there's not that variation and on the same token if you know, it's apples and oranges but if you could keep that compressor on the same plane of the crankshaft with as short a belt as possible then what you are doing is you are keeping that rpm of the compressor is constant and you're keeping that harmonic that operation that pumping action of that compressor in line with the crankshaft and it becomes much smoother and that's important also because the compressor has a crankshaft and it has bearings and the least amount of harmonics that are introduced into that compressor will not only be we have a smoother operation uh, for the, in the vehicle, whether the tractor or the pickup truck or what have you, and less harmonics, but you will also not be transferring those harmonics into the shaft, the, the crankshaft, and the bearings of the air conditioner compressor. So we have the compressor, we have what is called a condenser and the condenser is basically going to be out in front of the vehicle or the piece of equipment to get airflow across it and then we have inside the vehicle inside the cab or the passenger compartment we'll have an evaporator and then we will have a, a, a system of hoses and there will be some sort of valve to control the flow of the refrigerant into the evaporator and an air conditioner compressor being a pump, an engine with a pump, it has what's called a low side and a high side. And if you look at the air conditioning system, that you, if you notice, you'll have two sets of hoses. You'll have a hose that is, has a greater diameter and you'll have a hose that has a thinner diameter. The thinner diameter of the hose, or the smaller of the hoses, I will say, is the liquid line, and that is considered the high side. That's when the refrigerant is actually a liquid. And then you'll have the bigger hose, which is called the low side or the suction side. So they call the high side, lots of times it'll be referred to as the pressure side, and then the low side of the system will be referred to as the suction side or vacuum. Some people call it the vacuum side. It's really not a vacuum side, but sometimes they'll refer to it as that. And then you'll have your refrigerant, and then inside the compressor, you will have a uh, you will have a lubricating oil, a special lubricating oil in there that works to keep everything spinning without without seizing. So now that we have those basics covered, let's talk about what needs to be done. Now the air conditioning system has a bunch of seals on it and there's, there's they're traditionally o-rings and they'll seal any connection and the hoses for the most part are a series of of a type of rubber hose and they usually have some aluminum piping connected to them and it'll be a, a aluminum or metal type of piping it's more of aluminum and then with rubber hose in between that'll be on the low pressure and on high on the high pressure side 
the take home message that you need to understand here is that unlike um, on uh, just like an engine or a hydraulic system is that the refrigerant where an engine or hydraulic system would be the oil but the refrigerant inside the air conditioning system becomes dirty and how does it become dirty it has a tendency over time to wick in moisture and absorb moisture into the refrigerant now an interesting thing happens is that when you when the refrigerant be it r12 r134a or with your home air conditioning system which i think that may be r22 is that when the refrigerant mixes with a small level of moisture a small amount of moisture it creates acid and then this acid over time deteriorates and eats everything in the system so the acid actually also mixes so the moisture mixes with the refrigerant and becomes acid and the moisture also mixes with the oil in the lubricating system and becomes a sludge so it would be like an engine that has a faulty breather in it and you get a sludge build up in the oil pan the valve covers the breather what have you so that is what is going to occur now when you put the acid when the acid gets into the system as i said it starts to eat everything and deteriorate it and then the sludge ends up offering a lack of lubrication to the actual compressor so now we're basically in essence pumping acid through the entire system or an acid based or an acid i should say influenced refrigerant and it's attacking everything and eating it and destroying it and then we also at the same time have that sludge forming in the crank case of the compressor and offering a lack of lubricity to all of the moving parts inside the compressor so how does this moisture get into the system as to elaborate upon what i was just saying is that the moisture gets in there because of the the seals become porous over time and then also the hoses become porous over time and then there is such a pressure differential between the high and the low side and the uh, atmosphere that even though a newer system today this, this the sealing technology is so much better but over the course of three four five years and so many thermal excursions heating and cooling effects uh heating and cooling underneath the hood is that it, the system starts to wick in a little bit of moisture and that doesn't mean that there's a refrigerant leak but there is going to be it's just like a tire you could have a perfectly sealed tire on a rim and you could put 30 pounds of air in it and then you could come back maybe a year from now and it'll have 29 pounds of air and another year from now it'll have 28 pounds of air so there's always is going to be some inherent leakage from the air conditioning system it is so minute uh, that it really doesn't affect the performance but every time that something some refrigerant exits it exits the system some moisture is wicked in now so what do we need to do very simply to eliminate this moisture is that the system needs to needs to be serviced and there are three parts to this service procedure and you do need a special piece of equipment called an air conditioning recovery and charging station now years ago when we used to service air conditioner air conditioners we used to let the refrigerant go into the atmosphere for the past 20 
or 25 years that is no longer you're not you're no longer legally able to do that to legally service air conditioning you need to have what is called a recovery machine and this recovery machine takes the old refrigerant out of the system and stores it in a tank uh, it looks like a barbecue grill tank and stores it in the tank and then what it does is that it traditionally runs that that refrigerant through a filter and through a desiccant. The desiccant is something that absorbs moisture and it recycles that and then it is able to be put back into the system as cleaned and and have and and sans any moisture. So the steps basically are that the system needs to be discharged and discharge means that the all of the refrigerant is going to be removed from the system. So we're going to take this refrigerant, we're going to hook up this piece of machine, this machine, and we're going to take all of the Freon out, and it's going to go into the storage tank. Now, the next step is that once there is no refrigerant in the system, the air conditioner charging station or the air conditioning service station we used to call it a charging station before because it only used to it, it used to charge and not recover the freon so we'll call it the air conditioner servicing machine or equipment they probably have some name for it now i still call it a charging station what it does is it is equipped with a vacuum pump and now once all of the old refrigerant is out you're going to have the vacuum pump the lines will be hooked up to the low side and the high side and this vacuum pump is going to run and you want to get the system down to 28 inches of of mercury so you want to have a very strong vacuum a very low pressure area in there and why you're doing that is that moisture water will boil at 28 inches uh, 28 inches of vacuum it will boil at 28 inches of, of vacuum at 54 degrees Fahrenheit so you're using the vacuum the low atmospheric pressure that you're inducing through this vacuum pump into the air conditioner system 28 inches all right of vacuum 28 inches of mercury in there to boil off the water now depending upon the size of the system all right if it's a big bus then it's going to be have more refrigerant and the system is going to have more piping and length to it uh if it's and then versus a small car but regardless of it you want to get it down to 28 inches and once it gets down to 28 inches of mercury you want to keep that maintain that for one hour so you are, you have now no refrigerant in the system and you're inducing a vacuum you're taking it you're taking and boiling all of the moisture out and the industry has found that if you get it down to 28 inches and maintain the 28 inches for an hour that you will remove all of the moisture you will boil off all of the moisture and the vacuum pump will actually be sucking the steam out of the out of the system now as an aside to that it's very important for you to understand that depending upon how much how moisture laden the system is and how large it is will determine how long it takes to get down to 28 inches of vacuum now 
if you go and if you have a lot of moisture in this system then it may take a half hour for it to pump down to 28 inches and then that's when the clock starts for one hour to boil off the moisture the humidity inside if you have a system that has very little moisture in it and is not too large it may get down to 28 inches within five minutes and this is where a good mechanic a good technician that is servicing air conditioning will look at that and watch the gauge and not just say okay put it on there and he puts it on for a half hour and it may only be down to 14 inches and then you did not remove all of the moisture from that system so you remove some of it but not all of it and once it gets down to that level uh, and you feel that it's maintained it for an hour you now shut off the vacuum pump and the system will put the machine will put in the proper amount of refrigerant every application someplace on that piece of equipment or underneath that hood or what have you or on the on the uh the heater box will be a decal with a specification and if you don't have that then you could go and you could look that up in a shop menu what have you so it may say this system takes 3.08 pounds of refrigerant and then the charging station the charging machine has a scale on there and you're able to set it for 3.08 pounds or three pounds two ounces one pound five ounces whatever it may be and then at that particular point it'll put the freon in the freon i'm using that term right the refrigerant in and you will tell it how much oil to put in there'll be a separate canister that has refrigerant oil so now the thing is that on the most modern systems you cannot check the oil on the compressor which is a, a bit of an issue and bit of a problem the thing is that if the compressor has no sign of leakage there's no oil on it then usually the rule of thumb would be to put about an ounce of oil in when you put the refrigerant back in and as the older compressors years ago like the old Chrysler V2s when you actually and Eaton made them and Borg Warner made the same type of compressor so if you have an older piece of farm equipment you may have this big V2 compressor when the system was discharged and you took the refrigerant out before you pulled the vacuum they actually had a port and they had a special dipstick that you could buy and you would it looked like a pipe plug you'd move the pipe plug and then you would put the dipstick in and you'd read the oil level and then you'd put the pipe and you would record that and then you would put the pipe plug back in and then you would pull your vacuum on the system and then you knew that okay this system it needs it's down one ounce of oil it's down three quarters of an ounce of oil it's down two ounces of oil what have you but keep in mind that these systems only take the amount of oil in a few ounces there's not a lot of oil in there that the oil the oil goes a long way it's not like an engine where you need to have four quarts of oil so there's there's very little oil but that oil is paramount to keeping that system that that compressor working so and so now you put your oil in with your refrigerant and historically the charging station will put the oil in that you program the amount of oil in first while the system is still on the vacuum so it'll be easily pushed in and then it will introduce the proper amount of refrigerant and once it has that proper amount of refrigerant you are done right that system is serviced now as in backing up a little bit 
I want to talk about the common things that fail in an air conditioner system because of a lack of service. All right. So we spoke about the acid, but what does the acid do? The acid basically, the acid attacks the O-rings. As I said, it attacks the cranks. You have attacks all moving parts, but the most paramount thing that it attacks is the desiccant. And I did not discuss this. When you look at any air conditioning system, you're going to see that there's in some place in this in it, in, in attached to one of the hoses, is going to be a canister, and that canister holds a desiccant. Now, years ago, on the older systems, so if you have an older tractor or an older um, combine or haybine, what have you, is that it had a expansion valve. And what the expansion valve does is controls the amount of refrigerant entering the evaporator. And if you had, if you did not control the amount of refrigerant entering the evaporator, the evaporator would ice up and would no longer function and cool. Now, on the older systems, they used an expansion valve. And General Motors invented in the late 1970s a system with what is called an orifice tube the expansion valve had moving parts in it and you'll find some equipment older equipment that will still have an expansion valve but the past 30 years or so most systems used an orifice tube now what makes it confusing is that the the um the orifice tube looks um has is about four about four inches long and has a has a screen in it and and this orifice tube actually goes and controls the amount of refrigerant into the evaporator but what i want to just break away for a second is that when you had an expansion valve system historically probably 99% of the time, this canister that I was talking about that was usually near the expansion valve was called a receiver dryer. And the, the receiver dryer was always on the high pressure side, the liquid side of the system. And the receiver dryer would have a desiccant bag in it. And what the desiccant bag looked like, it was almost like those little salt crystals that when you buy a piece of electronics, and they would absorb the moisture in the system. And then if you do not service the system, the acid will eat that desiccant bag and put all of those little crystals through the entire system. And historically, it will plug the expansion valve and it will put this abrasive media through the compressor and the compressor itself will usually seize or actually, like I say, blow up through a connecting rod through it. Now, on an orifice valve system, the orifice valve is on the low pressure side and the desiccant is not in a receiver dryer it's called an accumulator but the function is the same the desiccant bag is there to absorb moisture so on a 
older system would have, with a expansion valve the desiccant would be on the liquid side the high pressure side on a newer system with an orifice valve and I say new probably the past 25 or 30 years it'll be on the low pressure side and uh, it'll be called an accumulator so if you're going to buy a part an accumulator is on the low pressure side and re and has the desiccant in it on a older system with an expansion valve the receiver dryer holds the desiccant and it is on the high pressure side now the important thing for you to understand is that if you have any air conditioning system whether and this is a common common problem that happens is that let's say you pop the hole in the condenser and the most common area for you to get a leak is in the condenser simply put because that is right out in front of the vehicle or front of the tractor and that system is open and it's open for any amount of time all right so what I mean it, it shouldn't be open for five minutes but if it's open, so if you pop a hole and you pop a hole in the winter, you don't realize it, and it's open for any amount of time, is that that desiccant bag is shot, and that system is full of moisture. That desiccant bag is shot. So whenever you have a system that is open, or a car or a truck that was in a collision, that it is, it, 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 it is imperative, imperative that that receiver dryer or that accumulator depending upon what system it is is changed and has a a new desiccant in it because that's going to wicken the moisture almost immediately and that is why they tell you when you service an air conditioner if you're replacing a part that you have to open let's say if you replace a condenser or you have a seal you cannot leave that system open and every place you go you go into a farm repair shop at a track the dealer or you go to an auto body shop or an auto repair shop they leave that system open and that desiccant is shot so even though they've put that let's say put a new condenser in they charged it up and they charged it up and they did and they did everything that they needed to do that that desiccant became so so full of moisture that it's not even though you took the moisture out through the uh, boiling process with the vacuum is that desiccant is going to serve no purpose whatsoever and is going to hold some moisture and is going to pollute that new refrigerant so a good a good mechanic will always say is when they have a system that either pop the hose pop the condenser uh the compressor whatever is that you need to replace that desiccant with that and it's going to be it's not you can't just buy the bag it's going to be either in the receiver dryer or the accumulator based upon the type of system it has now what when should you do all of this service well first of all number one is that to properly service an air conditioner with the recovery station you're going to need to invest to make an investment of about three or four thousand dollars and i think that most of you will not feel that that's a prudent investment unless you have a lot of equipment and or that you co-op that with you co-op that with another couple of other farmers because it's not a piece of machinery that you're going to use all the time so the thing is that what you would do is you would go and you would have this done as a service at your either the equipment dealer that uh or the car dealer depending upon whether it's a car or not so i like to tell people that if the system has if the system is performing well and has a good 
cold discharge temperature every four to five years that you will want to do this service which is in the, which is a uh, in, in, in the evacuation a discharge evacuation and refill with the proper amount of refrigerant and oil so if you do that every four or five years then you will keep that system fresh and most likely that system will last the entire life of that piece of equipment with minimal to no service now the other thing is that if you do not do that and you wait for something to fail usually it fails catastrophically and it could very easily cost you three, four, five thousand dollars to fix that air conditioner. As I always say, you don't look at that as crop prices. How much crop are you giving away? I would much rather I would much rather spend a couple of hundred dollars every on each piece of equipment every four or five years to to, to service the air conditioner system properly and not and not have it fail. Now, another thing, I did a show a week or two ago about letting the heat out of the engine compartment. And it's very important for you to do this, and it's also very important for you to pay attention to any signs of any oil leaks inside the engine compartment, especially around the AC hoses. Now, as the AC, if what happens to hoses, AC lines, is over time, they become porous and especially on the high pressure side and then you will have a system that leaks refrigerant but you cannot find that leak you could put a dye in it you could go with a with a with a refrigerant detector which is like a geiger counter you run the system and you run it it's a, it's a sniffer and it goes along you go along by the hoses by the seals and it goes when it finds a leak right but the fact of the matter is, is that when you get a hose that is older, it becomes porous. And so on the high pressure side, it may not leak. It may not leak at 200 pounds of pressure, but at 210, it starts to push through the hose. And that is usually an indication of a leak that is pressure induced. And what happens is that your system will be low on Freon, refrigerate, it won't run, it won't engage and the, they shoot some refrigerant into it and they can't find the leak well they can't find the leak because the high side pressure did not get high enough and the high side pressure is going to be influenced by the underhood temperature the ambient temperature and the amount of humidity in the air on a hot day on a hot day harvesting wheat in the combine is that that high side pressure is going to be elevated versus a 70 degree day or 80 degree day and lower underhood temperature on that piece of equipment so that is something that kicks a lot of people's uh uh tushy uh, because they go and they say they can't find the leak and the system leaks free on over time. You put refrigerant in and then it comes in with a week or so or two weeks, the system is now blowing hot air. So it's important for you to keep that in mind. So let's recap now as we get into this. Very simply, I ran you around all over the place, but I want you to know the importance of servicing your air conditioner. So what you're basically going to do, what it's going to encompass, it's going to be removing the old refrigerant. It's going to be, it's going to be that's called discharge. Then it's going to be called evacuation. There's going to be a vacuum pump hooked up to the system. The purpose of the vacuum pump being hooked up to the system is to go and boil off all of the moisture because water will boil 
at 28 inches of vacuum at 54 degrees Fahrenheit instead of 212 degrees you're going to get the system down to 28 inches of of uh, of mercury and then you're going to maintain that for one hour once you maintain that for one hour you're going to shut off the vacuum pump and this machine is now going to go into what's called the charge cycle and it's going to put the proper amount of refrigerant and the proper amount of refrigerant oil back into the system all right so if you do this it's probably realistically it's probably a good hour and a half procedure because usually the hoses are fairly easy to hook up the low pressure and high pressure side recapping the high pressure is the thinner line the liquid line the low pressure is the gaseous line it's the it's the bigger bigger line and it's going to fill it back up and then you will be good to go obviously if the system has a cabin air filter you would want to check that and service that you'd also want to clean the condenser off from any bugs or road debris or chaff depending upon the application so that it doesn't so it could actually cool that high pressure side and it could actually otherwise you're going to end up putting a stress on the system and it's not going to be pr functioning efficiently and then other than checking the belt and maybe the compressor bolts you are good to go now uh, keep in mind that if you have a system that keeps icing up then uh, that means that the low pressure side the suction side is lower than normal and the orifice could be blocked and at that particular time you will probably see the high pressure side being being higher than normal so the low pressure side will be lower and the high pressure side will be higher but if you look if you take readings on this and you look in the shop manual it will give you the range for each and application of what the pressure should be and then it'll tell you if you have a low pressure between this range that the diagnostic routine is usually this if you have a high pressure this is the diagnostic routine where you need to go the thing basically is is that I've never had a failure in any piece of equipment that I had with air conditioning never had a failure whatsoever uh, simply because number one I always open the hood as I did a show on it a week or two ago about letting the heat out so I don't want to cook those o-rings I don't want to cook those hoses and make them porous and I service my air conditioners every three to five years there's never any sludge built up in the system there's never any acid in the system I don't eat the acid doesn't eat the desiccant bag i'm not putting the desiccant through the system plugging the orifice tube or the or the expansion valve and use and having that abrasiveness go through and eat destroy the compressor so it's very simple and historically most dealerships equipment dealerships don't charge a lot of money for this it's usually a flat fee to hook up the machine and do it and then there's a fee for the amount of refrigerant per pound now you have semis it's the same thing you have a combine it's the same thing you have your wife's minivan it's the same thing so this all works the same it's the amount of refrigerant that is in the system but everything that i've spoke to spoke about today if you were to do this and execute this that you will probably 
have no expense in that air conditioning system in the life of that piece of equipment and like i said is that you know you have a combine today you have a tractor you have a sprayer it's imperative that you have that air conditioning and i would hate to see you get hit with a two three four five thousand dollar repair bill for something that could have been easily easily avoided easily avoided with a, a $200 or $250 service every four or five years or three years, whatever. It's not where you're going to having to, having to do this every year. Recapping also before I go into special delivery is that if that system is open for any length of time, I mean more than 10 minutes, all right, then you are going to need to change that, that desiccant and it's either in the accumulator on a newer system with an orifice valve or a on the receiver dryer and an older system with an expansion valve. If you do not do that, you're fooling yourself. That desiccant is going to eventually deteriorate the sac that's holding it and pump all of those abrasive crystals through it. And that's very common. A guy gets this done. He, they don't. Re, they don't. They don't change the desiccant. They don't change the accumulator or the receiver dryer. They have a problem. Let's say with a condenser where they change a the compressor, and that system is open. It sucks in all the moisture, and then a year later, the whole system grenades itself. And I don't mean it blows up and blows the hood off the vehicle, but this compressor seizes. The system doesn't work, and you spent a thousand dollars a year before and now it needs it's junk it's like putting sand in your motor oil right so forget about it so please 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 talk to your talk to your service people if you have a big enough operation with enough equipment and you want to invest in a piece of machinery an air conditioner recovery recharging station i would say co-op it with some of your friends and you could send it around to everybody's farm and they could do all the equipment and, and the next couple of years do it again or just talk to your dealership i'm sure they would be more than happy to do that service and the thing is that you want to talk to that if you have it done at a dealership or service center you want to make sure that that person understands that they have to pull it down to 28 inches of mercury and they have to maintain that for one hour once it gets there and if it takes a half hour to get there then you're pulling that vacuum for for 48 for, for you're pulling it for an hour and a half because you're not going to take all the moisture out so that's like like I mean, it's it's like whatever, uh, you know, uh, putting fresh oil in with a dirty filter in a motor. So I don't even know if that's a good analogy. But please, please do this. It's an important part of your equipment. You, when you go into harvest, you're spraying in the field, you need that air conditioner, and there's no reason for you to grenade that because of a lack of maintenance. It would be just like somebody not brushing their teeth and having to get dunches. All right? So let's, let's just do that. All right? Any questions, please feel free to contact me at... Uh, Hot Rod Farmer at FarmMachineryDigest.com. So now we're going to get quickly into our special delivery segment. And special delivery is brought to you by Firestone Ag, a company founded by Harvey Firestone, a fourth-generation farmer from Columbiana, Ohio. Harvey dreamed of putting rubber tires on farm tractors, and his innovative mindset is the at the core of Firestone Ag today and lives on with their 23-degree tread bar and AD2 technology. The soil is the lifeblood of your farm, trusted only to Firestone, and also trusted only to Firestone for your replacement tracks. If you have a track machine and you need some new tracks, definitely check out those new Firestone replacement tracks. They're at the top of the game in the industry. It's the Firestone of tracks. But anyway... 
what I wanted to go into today was that I had a person on Twitter that I was, we follow each other, and I said, I don't remember, I don't know, I have no idea whether the person listens to me or not, but he had a, a 2017 Suburban, and it ended up, uh, well, he said it blew up the motor, I don't know if it really blew up the motor, but it wiped the cam out, and it had a whole bunch of issues with that, and he was quite disgruntled, because I think it's going to be about an $8,000 repair. And the thing that I'm trying to the, the take home message here is that that particular engine has what they call displacement on demand and it shuts off cylinders through the valve train for better fuel economy on the highway. It's a modern version of the old Cadillac V864. But, you know, the, the take home message here is that I'm not saying that something can't fail, but I had some communications with him through my Twitter account and I asked him what kind of oil he used and he really didn't know he never got back to me and whether he always used a Delco filter and using this just as an example is that you know so many times and I did a show on this a while back early into my my podcasting and about that there is a difference in parts and historically when you see a failure like this now I don't care whether it's on a piece of, on a on a passenger vehicle or a piece of modern farm equipment and you know what I want to drive home to you is that the stuff today is so complex. There's so much design engineering in it. There's so many different aspects of it that if you do not, you know, there's a reason why, like on those GM applications, they tell you to use a Dexos, D-E-X-O-S, Dexos certified oil or approved oil. And that is a standard that GM has for, and part of it is for this valve actuation system, this displacement on demand. And also, you know, if you're not using a OE type of filter, and I don't care whether it's on a farm tractor or an OE filter, and you know, this is no knock on the aftermarket, and you know, years ago things, and I said this before, it's a lot more forgiving, all right? It's a lot more forgiving, but today this stuff is not forgiving whatsoever. I don't care whether it's a car, or whether it's a combine, or whether it's a sprayer, or whether it's a diesel engine on irrigation pump, that there's so much advanced engineering and so many special materials in these in these engines, and these hydraulic systems, and different O-rings, and different seals, that there's a reason why the manufacturer specifies using those particular lubricants or those particular parts, and you know, my thing to you is that I can't say this a hundred percent, but this is this particular gentleman has a 2017 Suburban, which is a fifty sixty thousand dollar vehicle, with eighty three thousand miles. So obviously he uses it a lot. When I asked him what oil and what filter he had, and he didn't know, so it means he's not servicing it himself, and he may very well be going to a repair shop in town. I don't know where he's going, and it's like I say, I'm not attacking that person, but there's probably a very good possibility that this system failed because of the wrong oil in it and an aftermarket filter that didn't have the filtration that was necessary for the close tolerances in this displacement on demand. And and I and this like I say, I feel you know I there's a very good chance that if he would have used a Dexos approved oil and an AC Delco filter on there that this truck would not be broken. 
and if this truck needs a new engine, that's going to be seven or eight thousand dollars, and that's seven or eight thousand dollars that he's going to have to take from his income, whoever he sources it from, and put it into this vehicle, and put it into this vehicle, and it's going to be back to square one to where it was. If it needs tires, it still needs tires. If it needs brakes, it still needs brakes. If it has a torn seat, it still has a torn seat. And remember, that is an unnecessary repair. So, so please, please, please. You know, if you have a piece of equipment on the farm, if it's Case IH, use their parts. If it's John Deere, use their parts. Use their oils. Do all of that. It's so don't don't be penny wise and dollar foolish, because when it bites, it bites hard. Like with the air conditioning system, and with tight margins on the farm, you do not need to have a personal vehicle blow up an engine because you saved a dollar or two on each oil change. And 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 uh, and this and I'm sure this man was 100% innocent. I, he had good intentions. He said he always ser- had it serviced. Well, he always had it serviced, and I'm sure the mechanic who worked on it had good intentions, and he did not see or honor or believe or whatever it didn't register with him that there's a difference and there's a reason why you have to put use the parts and the fluids and the filters that are recommended by that manufacturer and it's a sad it's a sad story when that does not happen so listen thank you so much for listening i hope you have a wonderful week i hope for next week we all got some seed in the ground and know that the hot rod farmer is always pulling for you the american farmer and rancher and my beloved america you have a blessed week take care bye-bye